to be honest, she might actually have run the show as well, but because she's sitting beside the dude who does Is it because you're sexist? And you thought, yeah. she can't possibly be in any position of power. Can you know what? Say, she's probably a marketing person because she's a woman. Anybody who's listened to this podcast <laughs> would know that that's just unbelievably wrong. I, I think... I think you know Go on, tell me how not sexist you are. Yeah. No. Are some of your friends women? Yeah. Wow. At least, and my mum. She's oh. a woman. And your wife. Yeah. from Pomona again uh, I've seemed to have found a, a sneaky little spot and uh, I don't know if you can hear that but that is a swan flapping the shit out of the water at me um, I'm not sure he's really happy for me to be here but you know what fuck you I'm at the top of the food chain swan um, I say that now just because there's a big massive barrier between me and it and there's no chance of it getting over well I guess it does have wings <laughs> um, biology, not my strong suit. Uh, today I talked to Laura Robertson, who runs one of my favorite online magazines, The Double Negative. I don't know, I was weirdly nervous in this one, despite the fact that I've met her before and we kind of know each other. Um, usually when I interview mates, I'm cool as a cuke, but uh, this one, I don't know. Uh, I don't know what it was. Attentive listeners will have noticed that when I'm nervous, I do that, mm-hmm, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm, thing constantly. And uh, unfortunately, you will hear me doing that quite a bit in this one. Uh, she says she was nervous as well. And you can hear her doing quite a bit of nervous giggling at the start uh, as she's kind of warming up and getting used to me and talking into a microphone. Um, she's usually on the other side of the interviewing table, so it's a bit weird for her. Uh, being on that side talking about herself and her magazine. But because she's a pro, uh, she gets over quite quickly and you, she relaxes and, you know, starts becoming, you know, lucid and interesting while I continue to, mm-hmm, and yeah, my way through the whole podcast. One day I'm going to do, release the outtakes to show you just how many of those I actually took out. Uh, you'll listen to this and think, how could he possibly have taken any of them out? Well... I took out fucking loads of them in this episode, and yet there's still like a million of them left in that I couldn't edit out because I do it while she's speaking, which is really poor interviewing etiquette. We actually end up talking about Hillsborough, and I'll just say right now that that was not on my question sheet. And yes, I know I've talked, but I have a question sheet because I'm old and I can't remember. And she takes, she, like everybody who comes on this podcast, takes the piss out of my question sheet. I had no intention of asking her about Hillsborough. You know, she's the first Liverpudlian that's been on the podcast. And um, I, it'd be easy to think that because she's from Liverpool, I put a Hillsborough question on. But she brings it up herself because she was she's from Anfield, in fact. And we do talk a bit about Liverpool Football Club for some strange reason, despite the fact that neither of us, well, for, well, for an obvious reason, because of the, the Hillsborough inquest is finished and uh, the fans were cleared of any kind of wrongdoing and were declared finally to have been unlawfully killed so that that was kind of the news story that was on 
last week when I talked to her. And so, I mean, I guess it was bound to come up. But don't think just because I had a Liverpool person on, I immediately asked them about Hillsborough. It was... <laughs> the, the subject was in the news at the time of the interview. That is the tram rumbling across. Oh, there's people looking at me. Hi. Yeah, I don't look like a complete knob. She implies that I'm a horrible sexist at one point in this interview, which I think at the time was a joke, but listening to it back, I'm not so sure, actually. One thing's for sure, she clearly hasn't listened to too many episodes, or she'd have realized that, like, 98.9% .9 of my guests have all been ladies. <laughs> I think I might need to find some dudes, because I'm actually starting to feel like the photos are beginning to look at, make it look like the only reason I'm doing the podcast is to hug pretty ladies, but I can tell you that, in fact, her, her co-founder, was Mike, was supposed to be on the podcast, so I would have been hugging her and him, probably against his will, but um, no, I do ask people, I don't do it against their will, I do actually ask if uh, people want to do a hug in the photograph, they're under no pressure to do so. But I, ha I do, you know, because they're British, I have a feeling they say yes just to be polite. And then when I look back on the hug photo, I think, Jesus, is that assault? I guess it took me 40 years, really, to get comfortable enough to hug people I wasn't related to. So maybe now these hugs are kind of a manifestation of some sort of, I don't know, repressed mommy issues. God knows. The point is, I do ask them if they want to have a hug. I'm going on about it now, and now I've made it weird. So now the next person, when I ask them, it's going to be weird. Ugh. I don't know why. I'm just the worst enemy of my own podcast. Um, what's even more shocking than the half-awkward hug is the state of my hair in the photo. The weather is terrible. Uh, was terrible. It's beautiful today. Absolutely beaming and hot. But last week was like Armageddon. So I was wearing a woolly hat and my winter jacket and I took my hat off just for the photo and for people who are losing their hair, the woolly hat is really does terrible things to it. So yeah, try not to look at it too long. And if there's one thing I've learned, it, it's that you cannot Photoshop out bad hair. It's impossible. Uh, you need to be some kind of Steven Spielberg level shit to be able to do that. Like pretty much everyone I've interviewed on the podcast, um, Laura seems to be one of these really annoying optimists. She believes that uh, the key to a successful writing career is uh, simply sticking with it and never really giving up, which I suppose it's true. Um, it's something I battle with every day. I mean, why the fuck don't we give up? It's Writing is awful. It's not fun. It's... Uh, it takes up a shitload of time, and most of the time it goes nowhere. Well, for me anyway. I guess other people it works. But even the ones who do are, who are successful and it, does, it works for are still broke asses. She gets into, I think she talks a bit about share, how important it is to share knowledge and, and uh, help every other writers and all that kind of nonsense that comes up in every podcast. And everybody says the same thing. So I suppose I should. I'm actually doing a reading of my own work in this podcast. Um, Laura's, or Laura, oh my God, I did it again. Laura Williams's reading went over really well. And I don't get many comments on this 
podcast, really. But I tell you, her reading sure got a lot. And it was all positive. So I'm going to try doing re- some more readings. And I didn't tell Laura, the person I interviewed this time, that uh, I was planning on doing that. So she, I didn't ask her to bring anything to read. So as part of this whole kind of sharing thing, I'm going to read something myself. I was going to submit this story to the Bristol and Bath Short Story Awards, but because the, short, the story was a part of my shitty self-published novel, um, it's not eligible. It, the only time self-publishing counts for anything is when it counts against me. So yeah, episode 11, and you'll finally hear some of my work, you know, Sorry World. It's called Two Swans, and it takes place in almost the exact position I'm sitting in right now. The story features two boys on bicycles, and I've ridden my bike here as well. So I've got the bike, I'm in the right spot, I've even got swans. It could have happened right here in front of me. Cycling seems to worm its way into everything I write because, oh, I just love it so much. Uh, I just bought a brand new bicycle, and it's the prettiest thing in the whole wide world. And in fact, I think, is Pomona only accessible by bike and by foot? You can't actually drive onto it, I don't think, which makes it even better. Um, I think I've done quite well to have done 11 episodes without talking about cycling even once. I'm, uh, I'm actually talking to you right now in a pair of cycling shorts. Let that disturbing image wash over you. And I, there those really horrible cycling bib shorts as well. So if I took my shirt off, I'd be looking like proper Nacho Libre at the moment. <laughs> uh, why do I, I'm not leaving that in. I've actually read it on stage a couple times, I think. So yeah, rehashing old shit. Why aren't you doing something new, Rob? I hear you ask. And uh, it's because I haven't got any. So yeah, listen out for that at the end of this episode. If you come on to this podcast, bring something to read the class, because that's probably going to be a feature of, of the podcast. I'm also going to have... Kate Feldon, again, she was my first guest. Her and Abby Hines were the were on the first episode of this podcast. She is heavily involved with the Manchester Literature Festival, and that is kind of cranking up now. So I might have her on from time to time in the intro to talk about some of the things that are going on. Um, my wife's away on a mate's 40th. I say mate's, her mate's, obviously. That'd be weird if she was away on my mate's 40th and I was here. She's away for five days and five nights, which is probably the longest we've been apart in 15 years of marriage, I think. Um, It's only day three and pretty miserable. I miss her, obviously, but I also get this weird, jealous thing that claws at me. And it doesn't help that her mate's 40th is in Magaluf. I know, I, I know, I know. Well, you know, she says it's Palma, but we know what that means. Uh, What am I talking about? Anyway, forget all that. Here's the interview. Wow, that's. I'll take that as a compliment. Yeah, definitely. 
Yeah, it's not going to be it. Something else to do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you cheeky bastard. I, honestly, I, I honestly. I am remember. Scouse, though, right? You know that. Yeah, I do now. We met. We met at um, <laughs> the Northwest Writers. That's right. Meet and greet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Common bar. Yeah, that's what it was. Back when, that was back a, when, that was ages ago. Yeah, it was back when Common was still good and not. Is really, Common not, not it's any good horrible. anymore? Oh, it's horrible. I think I've been back since. So. Yeah, it's just it's, it's one of those funny things. I, I was thinking about it the other day when I first asked you, and because I, I was going to put Liverpool questions, and I thought. I'm not even sure she is from Liverpool. How could I have forgotten? I'm, yeah, I am, aren't I? Yeah. Booking the trend. Yeah. I'm just shaping young hearts and minds because I'm, you know, a woman from Anfield. Who's <laughs> yeah. also an art critic. Yeah. Who does thunk it? <laughs> yeah. Just smashing every barrier I come across, Rob. Yeah. Just, That's no, good. No lids. Yeah, no. That's a very... Scouse. Yeah. Woman. <laughs> yeah. Doing a podcast. All that stuff is allowed. With a Canadian. I know. This is going to sound weird. It, no, it won't. Or maybe fine. spicy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. But there's, if there's one thing we're not, we've never been accused of, it's being spicy. spicy. Let's change that today. Okay, right. Yeah. <laughs> if Mike has got some, kind of the dulcet tones of someone from St. Helens, so oh, that yeah. would have mellowed uh, the That's north, where my mother-in-law's from. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what's Rain, he doing? Well, Rain Hill. Oh, I, you know, train museum. It, that's yeah, very famous for for its train museum, <laughs> as, you, as you are well aware. Oh yes, yeah, I've been there many times. <laughs> he's just getting the train, so he's not going to be here. Yeah, so apologies. Oh. What did he? He works at the Tate. He does. Oh. Content editor at Tate Corporation. Right. <laughs> you say that like it's a it, it's like the mom corporation from Futurama yeah <laughs> if you've ever seen that I, have I ever seen Futurama who are you, who are you talking to well we've only met once so I've, I don't know how many cultural references we can throw I've interviewed this, this is don't even tell me that you've interviewed I've, anyone do you know what's really involved. sad I can't even remember his name the creator <laughs> I interviewed the creator of Futurama isn't it Matt Groening the Simpsons guy no Matt Groening is the was the money behind Futurama but the I what they called it no no you're right he's the creator but the, the guy I interviewed was called a showrunner which sounds like some guy who gets that the sounds ba- like the guy who gets the, the it is but it's not it's the boss and that's he, really confusing because I think of he and I did it for Creative Tourist in fact they, I know I should, probably shouldn't mention their name but it's anyway fine. I did They're it for right there yeah <laughs> they um <laughs> I interviewed him because he was doing some cartoon, some kind of stop motion. We should have mentioned this at the podcast. It's in it. Are we recording this right oh, now? Oh, hell yeah. Wow. Yeah. Thanks, uh, for, the, thanks for the pre-warning. No, see, I never warn anybody because it's just, just like to smooth it in. Wow. Yeah. But it's good. I get to tell a story about a famous person I interviewed. Now I know what, you know, feeling self-conscious feels like. See, that's why, I should, that's why I don't tell people. In. Right. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> you must find it quite interesting when people self-edit, though, when they get interviewed. They do. A lot. Out of nerves. Yep. A million other reasons. I... This is quite nerve-wracking. Everybody, yeah. A lot of people, especially writers, uh, and I think it's because it's so difficult to get published that they don't want to make the wrong move. Mm. And I get people who hold back all the time and just want, don't want to say the wrong thing. It goes one, either, one of two ways. It's either that way where... And I won't mention who is, which is, falls on which side. But some people get interviewed and they say every second word is oh you can't you can't put that in you can't put that in whereas there's other people who just don't give a shit and they they love stirring it Um, 
mm. because they think I don't know they just think maybe I'll ruin my writing career if I say something well there's a the reason for that because you can ruin yeah your <laughs> career well, if you say mean things about somebody and then you can't work with them again yes even though it might be true well I'm not talking about like goss I mean and believe me there are some shit slingers I've heard some really interesting stuff uh, okay so we're not talking about gossip no but like even just opinions on certain things that might not Okay. Might be different from the norm, but I mean, and plus gossip, of course. Well, that's kind of, you know... Because I was going to ask you to, to say bad things about your competitors. <laughs> Which I'm sure you That'd take more than this one podcast. Oh, no, it wouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> hey, yeah. joking. Um, so, yeah. What, um, when did you start the double name? Well, maybe... Well, maybe I was just going to continue this conversation okay, because on. I think... You go ahead. This is quite interesting in terms of arts criticism. Yes. So when we started the double negative... Uh, as you know it's based in Liverpool yes so it didn't really have any dedicated arts press even though it has it's very artistic a lot of artists led spaces arts institutions a Tate Mm -hmm. uh, you know a Biennale yeah um, interesting things to write about we didn't really have anything like Corridor 8 for instance which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm based in Manchester and was an inspiration to me when I was studying at Salford. So that was kind of the first, my first introduction into what uh, arts criticism journal could mm-hmm. look like. Yep. And also what contemporary art was going down, you know, yeah. what was happening in, you know, two hour drive time. Yeah. So Liverpool didn't really have any of that. And it was interesting when we started people's kind of attitude to... Not telling the truth about exhibitions, but just critique, discussion, analysis. So I, I like my background is art studios. So mm-hmm. I ran a gallery before I started the double negative, and we do group crits like every month, and not slag off each other's work, mm-hmm. but be really Crit. honest yeah, and yeah, be critical yeah. friends. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and give constructive feedback and stuff, yeah. and just talk yeah. about you know stuff, painting, yeah, yeah, work but each other and how we were doing and what we felt about things and what exhibitions we've been to see and yeah. there's none of that for me being no. reflected in in the city and then you know wider than that it was interesting to look at what was going on outside London and yeah. and what I was going to do about it if, yeah. if anything yeah yeah what yeah, yeah. Could, what well, started I think it's interesting that you bring that up because I think a lot of times um, a lot of so-called criticism magazines are and we, I won't name any names here but are just kind of a shell for well <laughs> I have friends as well that I, I need, might need money from later um, I have friends who pay me who yeah, might be upset that's by right. what I say I know after I just finished saying uh, all these people <laughs> don't say the wrong things on the podcast I'm not doing the same thing but that it's just it doesn't feel like a there's actual criticism it, it feels almost like advertising for different bits, and I'm not saying, and I think yours is different that way, which uh, definitely because there really is actually criticism. Point. Yeah. Well, a lot of just the general press has changed, hasn't it? And publishing mm-hmm. has changed over the past like 10, 20 years, and a lot of the nationals have been getting rid of art critics. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe there's less space for arts criticism. Review sections are shorter. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, magazines online publications have to survive yep. through advertising mm-hmm. it's something we obviously we you know 
we have to deal with. We, we take adverts from arts organisations on the website, but there's always a very clear understanding or a conversation uh, about, well, if we take an advert from so-and-so, does that mean we can't review the next show? Yeah. And if we did review the next show, what would that mean? Mm-hmm. And that's got us into trouble over the past five years. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. You know, we've published negative reviews about shows. We're always really balanced. Mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, mm-hmm. I'm biased because it's, it's my... Thing, but we are really careful to be balanced. So if, if, if something is absolutely awful, mm-hmm. we will try and find something, something to say. Good to say yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. we're not just I think you like can... you know dragging things down. Yeah. And, and, but it does affect how some organisations interact with you, even down to say writing. You write a kind of what you think is a fair review with some you know with some criticism in mm-hmm. that organization might not necessarily share that article on social media they might only share very positive reviews mm-hmm. there's a lot of that yeah it's very rare that you'll get an art gallery who will share a negative review and want to join in the conversation castlefield gallery is actually an excellent example of that they will mm. always share a review and say what do you think they'll ask their their audience yeah you, you know you've been to see this exhibition what do you think do you agree yeah. let's have a conversation I think mm. that's essentially yeah. what I would like. What is the typical thing that you want somebody to write for your magazine? So if, if someone came to you and said, I want to write something, what, how do they get started? Um, it's interesting because we see a lot of new writers come through the double negative mm-hmm. and have done since we started five years ago. So it's always like emerging writers. So people still in uni... Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, someone who's never written for a magazine before and, and mm-hmm. has kind of gathered the courage to just send off an email and say can I do this Mm. I've written an essay on sculpture I don't know whether I can write in a magazine style Mm -hmm. I've no idea Mm -hmm. and then so do you have a style guide uh, yeah Mm. the first thing I would I want I look for is someone who just really cares about arts Mm -hmm. design film music Mm theatre stuff that I like that I'm interested in Mm -hmm. so everything on the site falls within those categories Mm -hmm. Um, and we're interested in things that kind of connect those those genres sectors as Mm -hmm. well so you know experimental music that uses VR Mm -hmm. you know I'm trying to think of some of my favourite articles from the past few years Marshmallow Laser Feast is a great example so they're a (laughs) great name Mm. yeah 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 they're a creative studio who are based in London they have clients uh, like you know big sports cars they did um, U2's last stage show with virtual reality lasers and stuff wow I've seen that have you? Yeah, well, on TV. On TV, not, obviously. Yeah, I didn't actually You didn't pay go. a million yeah. bucks for a ticket. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I'd have to leave if, if you did. No, pay, really? Pay to go to wow, YouTube. yeah, no, I didn't. Uh, we can't be friends. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then they did, they were headline artists at uh, Abandoned Normal Devices Festival last year, which was right. in Grisdale Forest. Oh, wow. Which was so exciting. Did mm-hmm. you go? No, no, no. I've never even heard of it. That's the first I've heard of it. It's based in Manchester and Liverpool. Oh, uh, well, I should have heard of it then. You should. You yeah. should. That's embarrassing. Mm, I know. <laughs> it's, a, it's an arts tech festival. Super interesting. They commissioned yeah. loads of work. Anyway, they had um, virtual reality headsets in the forest. Mm-hmm. So you, we went and sat on logs and had these these bizarre orbs mm. lowered onto our heads and uh, 
it was called through the eyes of an animal. And you were literally having an experience of being a frog on the forest floor oh, wow. or an owl in a tree and <laughs> really weird. Yeah. Enjoyable weird. Yeah. It sounds cool. That's the kind of stuff we like to write about. Yeah. I can tell you, I, I don't know if I have, I, in fact, I know I didn't tell you this, but the one time I did write for you. Um, Which you was sent, ages ago. Yeah. Sent me to London and I, I realized very quickly that I have no business writing about art. <laughs> Because you sent me, this is, this is the actually, this is the actual truth. You sent me to uh, review a gallery, and which was great. And I did that. I think it was okay. I can't remember what I wrote. You probably don't either. But I seem to remember it was pretty good. Yeah, well, you know. I kind of have to say that because yeah, we're on a podcast, that's but right. that's yeah. the truth. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks. Um, but we went to, as a part of there, it was something to do with the Tate as well. So they took us to the exhibition they had on at the time. Yes, Liechtenstein. And when I went there... Did I send you that? Yeah. And I said, <laughs> this is to the woman who was in the Liverpool Echo, because we went together. She was covering it as well. Press lunch. Yeah. Type deal. Went in there and I said, wow, these guys from Liechtenstein sure like comic book art. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like something Homer Simpson would say. Yeah. Yes. Wow. She said that. I said that. Did to she, an actual did she laugh? No. She just oh. looked at me. She... Because she knew right away that I was not joking. And, uh, yeah, she goes, oh, it's, it's not artists from Liechtenstein. That's the man's name. Did you think that was a place that a group of artists I thought had come it from was, to? I thought it was comic, a group of artists from Liechtenstein. And I knew then that arts wow. writing is perhaps wow. not for me. This is really interesting, isn't it? Because this is what freaks people out about um, even having a conversation about art. Mm. Never mind contemporary art, just art or going to a gallery. Because people get really stressed about a lack of knowledge. Mm. And writers feel exactly the same way. You know, you're, mm. you, are, you are a writer and you're a good writer. Mm. And the fact that you, you feel nervous about writing something... But yeah. Ever makes makes me feel surprised. Yeah, and it's quite funny, but it's also quite sad as well because it's just there's a basis there, isn't it? There's a structure mm. to writing, whatever you're writing. Yeah. you do you you research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take an interest in something. You apply yeah. yourself. You go yeah, yeah. engage. Yeah, I didn't feel too bad about it because I just, I just thought uh, I, I'm. You actually gave me some money as well, if I remember correctly. Really? For, yeah. That really doesn't sound paid like me. Paid for my train journey, I think, for definitely, because I wouldn't have paid for that. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I, I've been paid three times in Manchester by three different people, and you were one of them, I'm sure. Are you thinking of creative tours? No, I did one from that. I, I did the Yorkshire Sculpture <laughs> They definitely Department. pay. Yeah. They, Listeners. I, I did it. I, did, I wrote, <laughs> do you know what? I used to write for the creative tour quite a lot. Well, quite a lot. I did, I think, three or four articles for them. So that's how we met? Yeah. And... They paid me on the last one, and it was the worst one. Because what, what was that about? The Yorkshire Sculpture Park. I did something with I'm the Yorkshire Sculpture Park. I'm going there next week. Uh, it's awesome. It's really, really good. It is awesome. But they, um, I wrote about it at, because I knew I was getting actual money for it, and because I, you just don't get money as a writer anymore. Mm. Uh, it, it makes you really self-conscious. You're like, oh, I, I really have to concentrate on this one. I'm mm-hmm. actually getting paid actual money. It has, it has to be good. Yeah, whereas if it's for free, I'm just like, whatever, fuck it, and just write whatever. And that, mm-hmm. those ones are usually better. I shouldn't say that because now people are going to stop paying me. But, um, but that, No, that's really <laughs> important to bring up because yeah. I'm going to say, you know, you want, you want a good portfolio, but if, yeah. someone's, if someone's offering to pay you, you then, you know, that's a paid gig that you might be able to get again. So mm-hmm. you're only as good as your, or as your last article, aren't you? Yeah. 
So I write freelance now for AN News and Art Monthly, and I've written one piece for Guardian, and I've written one piece for Art Review. Mm-hmm. So Art Monthly and Art Review are like national and international glossy mags. Mm-hmm. It's the first time I wrote for them. That was absolutely terrifying. Yeah. Um, and I knew I was, you know, potentially going to get paid. Yeah. So spent a long, and I still spend as much time on each piece yeah. for those guys. Yeah. But for double negative, sometimes you know, it's <laughs> different, and that's why. Well, yeah, it's a different story. Well, the question is then, because you've got writers that are university grads and stuff, how do you make sure that what you're getting is good? Yeah. Well, like, sometimes it isn't good. Yeah. So, what, do you have to rewrite it yourself, or do you coach people? Everything's edited. Yeah. And that was something that was really important from the beginning because we saw other kind of blogs and websites that were just unedited kind of streams of consciousness. Yeah. And, it, you know, quality was really low and we wanted to make sure that all the writing was really good. Mm-hmm. And we knew what we liked as well. We knew what magazines and newspapers we really liked. Mm-hmm. We liked Triple Canopy and After All Journal. And we liked reading the culture, you know, Guide and the Guardian. And mm-hmm. we liked other national, kind of international stuff. And we thought we could do that, you know, from mm-hmm. Liverpool, mm-hmm. where it wasn't going to yeah. be expected. Mm-hmm. So everything's edited, and it still is. And actually, that's become a really massive part of my job, mm-hmm. because if you're not paying p- everyone, mm-hmm. we pay some people through bursaries. So we've we've had some really good uh, collaborations over the past, past couple of years, with one with Liverpool John Moore's University, and one with... Um, the Kavan Network, which is Contemporary Visual Arts Network. Mm-hmm. Sexy, I know. Mm. Um, I hate acronyms. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they've paid writers with us. They've commissioned content with us. Mm-hmm. So that that's the best feeling in the whole world. Um, we, we, give as, we give the same editorial support now mm-hmm. for everybody. So if we're not, we're not paying somebody, it's really really important that mm-hmm. they get something out of it yeah and I've also you know had different experiences as a writer where some of the editorial support I've had has been really crap mm-hmm. and they've just published something without yeah. showing me yeah and they've you know just completely massacred it it just it doesn't sound like me anymore yep. and then I've had really good experiences where people have shared contacts with me and stuff that's yep. the kind of thing I want as a writer yeah yeah so now I'm mega conscious of having to do that mm-hmm. for all the double negative writers yeah and it's important to pay people for their work traditionally you know over the five years we haven't paid people Mm -hmm. we haven't had a good enough business model we get like the odd advert on the website and basically Mm -hmm. I do like five other jobs yeah to pay my bills yeah so this year thankfully we are kind of taking that into hand and we're changing the business Mm. got a business development person applying for arts council money mm-hmm. for the first time all that business mm-hmm. so we can go into print hopefully at the end of the mm, year very exciting double negative magazine which will pay all the writers mm. involved does this so mean be nice yeah will this mean that you'll be taking on advertise more advertising yeah you have to yeah do so you think you're right do you think the writing will change or will suffer if you bloody hope not I, I, of course you don't think it will do you, do you worry that it might yeah I think you always worry mm. um, things like things that other people do quite a lot of like advertorials mm-hmm. I hate that word you don't yeah it's it's gross isn't it mm. um, 
I think it's quite interesting from that kind of side of things, from the business side of things, working with other people, people who buy adverts. Mm-hmm. So they want more than just an advert now, I think. So on the double negative, <clears throat> we try and have like more of a collaboration with people. Mm-hmm. So we'll write, we'll interview, say, it, you know, someone's got an exhibition coming up mm-hmm. and they want to push it, we'll interview one of the artists. We'll try and retain, you know, creative control so it's not just like some gushing mm-hmm. uh, gross review or something <laughs> that doesn't sound like us. Yeah, yeah. Maybe with an advert, maybe covering a live event or running a live event with mm-hmm. somebody with the, also that client. Yeah. It's even weird to say like the word client or customer. That's really not in my background. Yeah. Like I, I would love to just handle the creative mm-hmm. direction. Yeah. Ideas stuff. And let somebody else I, do the salesy yeah. side. But it's it's yeah. literally just me well, doing it, everything. It is. I think, it, <laughs> I think it's interesting that, that anyone can do that because I, I, I think there's kind of two real, there, those are such different mindsets. Um, the creative side and the business side, I, I, and I think anybody that can do both is incredible. Really, because I, 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 I'm with you. Like the business side of things, I just cannot think of anything more dull <laughs> than figures and it stuff. It is really dull. Yeah, and but I think that's kind of why. I think that's why a lot of why people, writers, people in the writing industry have gotten fucked over mm-hmm. because we haven't been, you know, crossing our T's and dotting our lowercase J's. Uh, it's, and that's, we've kind of hurt ourselves that way and just going, just, just being happy to get published. Oh, thank you, thank you, you know. It's about getting the right advice mm-hmm. as well, isn't it? It's about people who, who you know and who are around you that you can ask for advice. So mm-hmm. we're really lucky, you know, where we are based in the Northwest because there are a few really cracking people. Uh, mm-hmm. Like Bob Dickinson writes regularly for Art Monthly. Mm-hmm. I met him uh, two years ago and I've asked for loads of advice from him about yeah. getting paid by other magazines, how much people pay. Um, how to approach people, pitching, um, what other magazines are looking for. He's had an amazing career uh, with the BBC, mm-hmm. uh, BBC Four Radio and all sorts of other things. When we started, we made a massive list, basically, of people who we wanted to ask for advice because we'd never worked together before for a start. I'd run a business with the Royal Standard, mm-hmm. but I wanted to do it in a much more kind of focused way and I wanted to do my own thing. So we kind of just made big lists about what we wanted and I think we wrote down about 40 ace people from around the country who we really, really liked. Who was the top? Oh, I think Susie Stubbs gave <laughs> me the best advice, funnily mm-hmm. enough, from Creative Tourist. Mm-hmm. She basically just said, it's going to be really fucking hard. Mm-hmm. So, just persist and don't don't give up mm. when it feels really really bad. And obviously at that point we were like, ah, of course we won't. What's Susie talking about? Yeah. <laughs> Which quickly became <laughs> it became clear when she said that. People like Mike Stubbs. At fact, we were asking people who ran you know galleries and who put on gigs and mm-hmm. other writers and stuff what they wanted to see if we set up an arts website, what it should look like, what they want out of it, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. So we did we did about three months worth of research and that really helped in terms of, you know, talking about money and mm-hmm. business and stuff. I know, it always comes up in this podcast. I always ask about it because I'm obsessed. Well, it's really difficult and it's not mm-hmm. something that I've ever had training in. I'm, I'm a real 
believer in learning by doing and that's mm-hmm. how we've done everything yeah. with the double negative and the first year I'll be really honest the first year was really easy to get adverts mm. it was really easy because we were a new thing yeah. and people were like hey I'll pay £400 for a mm-hmm. you know an advert for a month hells mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> fab mm-hmm. uh, and then after the first year they just all disappeared mm-hmm. which is when your kind of business plan comes into action and oh okay so we have to reach out to new people that we don't know mm. basically yeah cold calling people and stuff oh mm. okay I don't like that yeah um, what else can we do and what should we, should we do events and uh, should we you know and then th- good thing good things happen like being invited to talk at universities and things mm-hmm. that's yeah. fun yeah. that's super fun it's something I still do now yeah do you get paid for that yeah yeah that's, I, you could do that. Yeah, that's one of my goals. Every person that I've interviewed Why aren't you doing that it? makes my, well, I'm I'm not sure I. Why aren't you doing it at MMU? What here? Yeah. What would I talk Fountain about? Fountain of, of knowledge <laughs> to the youngsters. Yeah. Fresh in first year BA. Yeah. What do you mean? What would you talk about? You talk about writing. Yeah, but I I think I'd need to put a, them all off. <laughs> yeah. I yeah exactly. <laughs> but I think I would need to have more of a. Uh, I wouldn't say more of a name, but I'd have to have more things published, I think, before I could, you know, talk to other people and tell them how to do things. Um, I don't like to think of it like that, you see. I like to just think of it as sharing mm -hmm. what I've done. Yeah. And I don't actually know everything. Yeah. Well, the thing (laughs) is, though, you've got, like, you've got a very interesting magazine. It's quite popular. It's the only one in Liverpool. Or is it the only one That's still? That's true. Yeah, yeah, it's still the only one. So I think you've got you've got all that behind you. You know, uh, I've written a few articles and I have this podcast, so I can oh, I can tell people about podcasting, I suppose. But then I'll you know get, make some more competitors. It's crazy. Yeah, an absolute mystery <laughs> to most people. So I know it's you're good. doing yourself down a little bit. No, it's good though. I don't want them to know all my secrets. Well, this gold room that you booked certainly is uh, fantastic. I mean, how and the unicorns, nice, (laughs) nice touch, man. I really appreciate that. That must have been a real logistical nightmare. I am good. What can I say? (laughs) I noticed you keep looking to your questions. I know. See, because I'm. So is this is this how you interview everybody? Do you have a big A4 sheet of questions? Yes. The thing is, right? My memory is dog shit. And I know that this is Bush League as fuck. And this comes up every time. And I always... I'm editing this out. I'm not going to tell people that I actually do this. But uh, Mm. usually I I do this just in case the person isn't chatty. But you're very good. I've only gotten to about there. Look. Wow. I I am too chatty. No, you're not. You're good. That's 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 what we like. You see, it's your fault because we talked about Futurama. I know. To begin with. I can see I could talk about that for days, but we won't. Mm. Josh. Josh something. Josh. Oh. That's really not helping. Josh. He's, he's famous. Uh, anyway, it doesn't matter. Um, we're supposed to be talking about your stuff. This is the problem with interviewing someone. I um, I like interviewing people. I know, me too. So, yeah. I'd much rather, rather <laughs> talk about you. <laughs> or Futurama. That's yeah. fine. Yeah. What arty things should people see? Generally, yeah, no, now, like what's on? <laughs> no, this is your, this is your chance. Oh, there's loads to, of things. This is your chance to talk about the. I, I had just this, this, one point. This is another reason. Question you want. This is another reason why I shouldn't write. I have no business writing arts journalism. I yeah. said the bi- biennial. 
Biennial is fine. Oh, that's Biennale, you just said. You can say either. Oh, okay, so I'm halfway. So a Biennale, right? Yeah. It's, it's just something, it's something that happens every two years. Yeah. But we say Liverpool Biennial because we're in the north. Right. And not in, you know, Paris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're common. Yeah. Um, Liverpool Biennial is actually, you know, upon us. So yes. it starts in July. Mm-hmm. What is it? It's a 14-week festival of free contemporary art mm-hmm. from around the world. Mm. It's pretty cool. Yeah. Where did they... Uh... It's pretty amazing, actually, to have it in. The fact that, you know, Liverpool's got one. Yeah. Got a festival that big. Yeah. And that impressive. The names they get usually are pretty amazing. Okay, who's the big one this year, then? This year, two people stick out. Marvin Gaye Chetwind. Have you ever heard of this artist? She changes her first name quite a lot. At the moment, it's Marvin Gaye. Oh, right. Obviously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you'd love her, actually. What kind of I think of you'd be really into it. <laughs> I doubt it. Basically, really bonkers <laughs> productions, <laughs> like films. What do she you makes really it? weird, okay. really, really absurd, abstract, weird stuff. Okay. She's making... Put it this way. This mm-hmm. year, yeah. she's making a film with children that's inspired by uh, Betty Boop's A Song for a Day, which is, uh, as you know, Betty Boop. Mm-hmm. I do know Betty you Boop. do know Betty Boop. Mm. Uh, in this episode, she goes to work at an animal hospital and she nurses giraffes, billy goats and hippos back to health. That's worth the watch. Wow. That's apparently Marvin Gaye Chetman's uh, favourite film at the moment. So she's really inspired by that. Wow. Okay. Uh, amongst other things. And she's enlisting a lot of school children under 14s to make a film. Well, that tr- will be kind of about that. It's called right. Dogzima Bone. <laughs> Can't you pretend that you're under 14 and maybe you could get like a, oh my God. a cameo? Yeah. Maybe. Oh, as a dog. Dogsy Mabon. Maybe you could be Dogsy. Oh my God. This so is what that's this in the biennial, yeah, right? Okay. <laughs> this, Very is what, this is what Liverpool has to offer the world. <laughs> Screw you, Manchester <laughs> International Festival. Right. Yeah. We've got Dogsy <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to be super fun. <laughs> um, I should mention the theme is time travel, so it's a bit oh, crazy. See, now you, now I'm interested. Okay. Yeah, if, I'm a nerd. If you want to know more about this, you should go onto the Double Negative. Oh, see, that's such a bullshit thing. We've published a <laughs> preview <laughs> article today. <laughs> what? Got a plug. Yeah, okay, fine. Um, yeah, so that's... I'm really looking forward to that. That'll be very strange. Um... Is this wait? Okay, so this time travel there's, thing. That's, like, that's not four, the same. There's forty person. artists okay. in the and those in are the, the biennial. Two. Those are the two that you're kind of. There's Marvin Gaye Chetwind mm-hmm. hair thing. Yeah. This is all over the city, right? So yeah. it's in loads of different venues. Okay. Um, Mark Lackey. Have you heard of Mark Lackey? Of course I haven't. You're going to keep asking me. Okay, sorry. Have, and I'm just having to look even dumber. Um, yeah, exactly. He was born in Ellesmere. <laughs> I know Andy Warhol is. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Lichtenstein's pal. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, Mark Leckie was born in Ellesmere Port, mm-hmm. um, and he's a Turner Prize winning artist. Wow, okay. He's pretty good. He's really interested in music. Mm-hmm. He had a major exhibition at Manchester Art Gallery a few years ago, and mm-hmm. I interviewed him, and I could not stop staring at his earring. He had a pale earring in. It was It was very distracting, Rob. Like the girl with the pale earring, but... The Mark Lucky, who's a bit more hairy. <laughs> Did he have the, the headdress thing as well? 
He didn't. I really wish he did. Yeah. Yeah. See, I do know something about art. You do. <laughs> no famous, massively <laughs> famous paintings. Yes. Um, yeah, he's gonna. He's found some uh, footage, some found footage of him uh, at a gig. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the 80s, early 90s, to enjoy Division in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. So he's kind of made this film about his childhood, really, about knocking about in uh, Merseyside and mm-hmm. uh, kind of memories and stuff. All of their works are really, really different, but they all kind of tie into this weird idea of time travel. So either travelling back into the past mm-hmm. from now or maybe from the future. So another artwork is um, imagining like the, the year like 2054 or something mm-hmm. when... Um, our robot overlords, mm. obviously, will be in charge. I can't and uh, we're looking back to now. <laughs> like, <laughs> remember robots. when yeah. we remember were in charge, yeah. not Terminator. Yeah. Well, hey, we're not in charge now, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a different podcast, isn't it? It is. <laughs> so, yeah, the biennial is cool. That's mm. from July. Are you going to commit now, Rob, and say that you're going to come to the biennial festival yeah. with me and meet me for a pint? Yeah, sure. I can do that. Definitely. Is that Don't, now I have to do, well, no. <laughs> I say, Can't we be friends? <laughs> yes, I will do that. Uh, yes, there's no reason not to, really. Heard it here first. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Thanks. Do you want to... The other thing that you are pimping at the moment is How your... How dare you? Yeah, is your book, this book that your double negative is doing. Mm. What... First of all, why is a magazine doing a book when there's not even a print magazine? What is it? What is the book? It's fucked up, right? Yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) This is just something kind of towards our plan for world domination, really. Mm. Uh, (laughs) I like print. Mm -hmm. I buy a lot of magazines. Yes. We are going into print Mm -hmm. as a double negative at the end of the year. Yeah. In a physical sold magazine. Uh, So I wanted to produce... More print, really. Yeah, so what is the book, this book, though, because... The book like, what is, it? is called On Being Curious, mm-hmm. and it's basically uh, ten crazy articles about contemporary art in the Northwest from the past 18 months, so it's like a snapshot of what's going on now right. here yep. in art, and there have been some quite weird and wonderful things happening. It's been really amazing to write about, actually. Mm. So I'm just the editor, so I've selected ten writers. Mm-hmm who I've been working with over the past two years uh, through this Kavan bursary that I mentioned before. Mm -hmm. It's really cool, actually, so writers could apply. Uh, We had over 100 applicants. They were all really good. It was really difficult, and Mm -hmm. people say that, but Mm -hmm. it's actually really difficult uh, to choose 25, and that makes me feel really good about Mm. the the potential of arts writing, I think. We called it On Being Curious because... It's basically critical writing about loads of the artists and cool mm-hmm. venues and, you know, experimental pro- projects that's been happening in the region, mm-hmm. uh, in the Northwest region over the past 18 months. Yeah. Critical writing, as you know, can sound pretty dry. Uh, they are critical, but they're also really good stories mm. uh, about curious things uh, mm. for curious people who are interested in yep. just, you know, good people and good things mm. so this this book is just about the northwest basically okay cool i will and it's not get getting one. sold so it's gonna, it's, it's, it's sold? not it's not being sold in the shop so it's just being gifted to artists and oh my god uh, really? libraries and university libraries and so what's uh, arts organizations so all across the north and oh, a, few, wow, really? a few other places nationally and internationally 
So people who've been involved in all oh, these projects right. for a start. Okay. So, you know, Assemble will wow. be getting one in Crombie Four Streets and Super Slow Way, as well as um, CFCCA, which uh-huh. is in Manchester. Yep. We've written about their 30-year anniversary. Oh, wow. And it'll be knocking about in libraries, hopefully. Oh, so. Right. so that's the only way someone can get it. Go, you're, yeah. well, you're doing a launch, We should though. do another run, shouldn't we? Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. I wanted to sell them, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> Vetoed. See, that's funny. <laughs> you're, the, you're supposed to be the creative person, and you're the one that wanted to... Make cash. What? So you got to fire e- your I'm an business person. Evil entrepreneur. <laughs> <Yeah>. Fire myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah. Yeah. I'm it, only going to ask you this next question. It's not even on my list, but it's only because you mentioned wow. it and it's timely. Um, spontaneous. Yeah. Yeah. Spontaneous. You don't have to answer it because it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. Okay. Um, but you, you mentioned from Enfield. I am. LFC. Oh. They've just been. Yeah. You know what I'm going to ask you. They've just, the, the 96 have just been, exonerated isn't the wrong word, but it's just been, it's been said that they're un, been off, unlawfully killed. It's been really intense, 20 isn't it? 20 some days. years in the making. Now, for someone like yeah. me, who's not from here, I mean, it's it's probably, it. we heard about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, I think... It, when did you move I've been to here, Britain? 10 years ago. So, I mean, it was still... So it hasn't even really been... In the press or anything? It, well, it has definitely. Well, massively. Recently, for you. Yeah. But as a person who was unaware of I was. I became unaware. Disaster. I became aware of it very early because um, one of my best friends is a Wednesday fan, Sheffield Wednesday fan. Oh, right. And when we, the first match I went to was at Hillsborough. The first football match I ever saw was at Hillsborough, and that's where that you saw the memorial. Mm. And um, he, you know, just read that and you know, had my mind blown that that could actually happen. Um, yeah, yeah. Did you? What, do you remember it? I was born in 83. Oh, God, you're so young. So, I oh know. I look yeah. so old. <laughs> <laughs> no, you it's don't. It's running a business. No. <laughs> quickly, quickly. No, no she doesn't. No. Um, yeah, so I, I barely remember, really. Okay. We're, I've obviously been talking to a lot of people about this the I last bet. couple of days. Yeah. I live in Liverpool. And yeah. there's, there was, um, well, it's not just Liverpool, Enfield. Yeah. Well, I don't live in Anfield anymore. Mm. Um I live in Liverpool, mm-hmm. um, and there was a service uh, in the city centre last night, and mm-hmm. just watching all the press and kind of following the inquest and stuff. Mm. I think it's quite—it's quite strange to talk about it as somebody from Liverpool uh, who's not a football supporter, but also kind of now works outside of Liverpool and, mm-hmm. and knows how people's attitude to the city can be because mm. that's really not how I see Liverpool mm-hmm. obviously my references are oh you know Liverpool's a cool city to mm-hmm. go visit on a city break and it's got really good art galleries and coffee shops mm-hmm. and it's relaxed and it's a really really nice place to work I think that's what most people who've been there think it's the people that who haven't who been haven't. there might and have a different it's been interesting to kind of talk again over the past few days about this insidious kind of view of Liverpool as, uh, you know, thieving scousers. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, it's Liverpool, so something dodgy must have been happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, trouble causes, pity city, whinges. Mm-hmm. It's really shocking, actually, when you think about how a whole area, yeah. <laughs> thousands it's, and thousands of people have been yeah. labelled as something. Yeah. There's a really good article um, in the New Statesman written by uh, Neil uh, Atkinson, who runs the Anfield Rap podcast. Mm-hmm. Everybody should read that. Really, he says it's it's not about football; it's about humanity. Mm. 
Definitely. And it's a national disgrace yeah. because we've basically um, dismissed an entire city and uh, blamed innocent people mm-hmm. <laughs> for 96 deaths. Not just innocent and people. And then covered it up. Not just innocent people, but people who were actively helping. Yeah. I think that's the thing that blows my mind the most. And children. Yeah. Teenage girls. Mm-hmm. You know, were they meant to be the thieves, the drunks, the whoever? It's yeah. really disgusting and upsetting. Um, yeah, it's crazy. I don't really know what, what to say about it. Mm. I think also, I think people who aren't from Liverpool know that Liverpool people don't buy the sun. Mm-hmm. Of course and not. And there's a reason for that. Yeah. And also Liverpool people have kind of known that they're almost, you know, none of the fans were to blame because mm-hmm. all those fans came back, those thousands of fans came back and said what they'd experienced mm-hmm. and which directly contradicted with what the press, police and government were saying. Mm-hmm. Liverpool was a soft target though, remember, in the mm-hmm. 80s, you know, we'd had, the, as I just mentioned before, the riots. We'd had mass unemployment. It was in a sorry state. Um... You know, it was easy for people to believe that it was probably Liverpool people's fault Mm -hmm. because, you know, they were trouble causers or, Mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Mm. But I think a lot of it's it's really, well, not interesting. It's weird that other northern cities have had, well, other cities have had riots and yet we have not been tarnished with the same. National riots like, you know, Birmingham and yeah, Mm. yeah, 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 I know. Mm. Do you think that this... Like, you know, now that they've actually said um, they were unlawfully killed, do you think that people will have a different view of Liverpool or do you think that it won't matter? I don't know. Mm. I don't think that's for me to say. Mm. It's just such a bizarre, horrendous, awful thing. Mm -hmm. I think we should be, as a nation, really embarrassed Mm -hmm. and ashamed. And Mm -hmm. it should... should it should get sorted out. Twenty-seven years is a ridiculous amount of time. Like just, just even like, can you even can you even imagine being involved in something like that and then having to pay for your own campaign to clear the name of your family? It's can insane. you even? It's beyond yeah. my understanding. Mine too. Yeah. I don't really. I can't even. It's it's unbearable to think about actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, I don't. I don't. I can't grasp it really. I think people. There's been a strange atmosphere in the city the last couple of days. I think people are angry, actually. I think it's almost brought everything back. Mm-hmm. The footage, showing the footage again on the mm-hmm. news, remembering how shocking. The thing I can't believe is that uh, that footage was shown at the time, and people mm-hmm. still thought it was, you know, Liverpool fans hurting themselves. And I didn't know as well there was um, a credible witness, if you like, uh, an inconvenient witness he's been called in the press mm. the last couple of days a doctor uh, that went on Jeremy Paxman mm-hmm. at the time to say it was completely the police's fault mm-hmm. uh, you know that the stadium was ill prepared there's been some serious massive failings here mm-hmm. and they tried to ruin his career through the courts mm. um, so mm-hmm. yeah I don't know I think it's also brought back to me how many different types of people were involved mm-hmm. Um, just all the different types of families. I'm from different areas, not from Liverpool, obviously. Mm-hmm. See, I wasn't sure if I should ask you about that because then it no, finishes the re- podcast on a real downer. Re- <laughs> the end, goodbye. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's an interesting com- conversation to have to look at where the city is 
today on, on a conversation about place and identity for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Because I think one of the really important things for me when I started to write about things happening in Liverpool was kind of just to show a different side of things, mm-hmm. to write about what was kind of under the radar maybe nationally. Uh, things that were happening in Liverpool that people didn't really know about. Like the Casimir opened at the same time that the Double Negative started and that was a really cool club. It's just closed actually. They're opening a new venue mm-hmm. on the North Docks called the Invisible Wind Factory. It's mm. really exciting. Mm. But that was a, a club set up by, you know, performance and theatre artists who just wanted to see something re- really different and it ended up being like one of the best, you know, clubs people had come from. Other cities travel far distances to kind of see the stuff there, like experimental theatre, as well as like really good national touring bands. And it was Mm. like this handmade sci-fi art deco uh, (laughs) gig space. Mm. So good. Parties. Mm. Parties. I like all the sci-fi time travel-y stuff that you keep talking about. I'm also a fan of sci-fi. So maybe I just keep mentioning sci-fi yeah. just like a subliminal message right. I run an art magazine yeah. <laughs> I'm actually a massive sci-fi nerd which yeah. is something you didn't ask me about oh. because you didn't know no see now I do maybe I'll just this is what I do to relax so I read a lot of sci-fi well, who's the best who are you reading the, what's last good science fiction <laughs> yeah should I try that again <laughs> what's the last good science fiction thing you've read I am reading a lot of John Wyndham at the moment so okay. I wrote I read I wrote I wrote Day of the Triffids did <laughs> wow, you know that's pretty good <laughs> Born in 1983. That's, that's impressive. That's, yeah. my, that's my other pen name. Uh, I read Day of the Trivids years ago. Mm. Uh, and I picked up um, The Chrysalids mm, recently. Oh, it's mm. so good. And it's so timeless. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, people should read that if they haven't. It's an absolute classic. So I started to pick up some of his other books. So I've just mm-hmm. read The, Mitchwick, the Midwich Cuckoos, mm-hmm. which is about a village that um, has a think I could say this without spoiling it, an alien visitation and mm. all the women get pregnant. Oh, wow. Awkward. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> and how the village deals with that, really. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's pretty dark. All of his books are yeah. quite dark. And I'm reading um, uh, a book he wrote at the same time of, of, of Stay at the Triffids, which didn't get any kind of attention at all, called yeah. Plan for Chaos. Mm. It's really weird, like, crime thriller mm. in the vein of maybe Boys from Brazil, like a oh, Nazi yeah, 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 yeah. conspiracy post-World oh, right. War II thing. Yeah, yeah. So, like, Very alternate, strange. alternate reality kind of thing. Yeah, a bit. Mm. Um, I'm not really enjoying it, but it's interesting. Yeah. Not as good as the, the chrysalids I was blown away by. Yeah. It still feels like it could have been, it, it could have been written yesterday. Yeah. Yeah, it is Bigotry, um, you know, honour killings. Yeah. Just othering and difference, just lots of really contemporary issues. Yeah. It's good. Terrifying as well. Mm, Yeah. How about you? Me. What was the last thing you read? High Rise. Oh, I I still haven't read it. I really... Oh, hang on. I I listened to your podcast, the one where you went to see High Rise, yeah, the film. Have you seen it? And you were really traumatized, but no, I haven't. I really, really didn't like it. You hated it, didn't mm. you? Did yeah. you? Did you like the book though? No, and it was <laughs> it was recommended to me by Nick Royal because he says who now I, you don't speak to. Yeah, no, I do. <laughs> he's, he's lovely. Uh, he because I'm the book I'm writing for the MA has has a tower in it, 
and it's post-apocalyptic. So he says, oh, you've got to, you've got you've got to, to beat that. I rise. And I was like, oh, I'm almost insulted now that I've read it. No, I'm just joking. How disappointed, no. though, no. were you on a scale of 1 to 10? Oh, I don't get too disappointed about anything. Don't you? I no. do sometimes. I just expect everything to be shit, and then when it's good, I go, wow. The trick is no expectations. That's right, and I have none. Well, I do. I have worse than that. I have bad expectations of, I don't, I, and I don't, it used to be kind of like psyching myself up to, to not get wow. uh, disappointed in something, and now it's just like, I'm pretty sure, I think it's, it's about turning 40 as well, where you just assume everything is going to be crap, and then when it's not, you're like, fantastic. Have you it's always been like day. this, though? Are you a natural pessimist? Yeah. Yeah. I'm a natural optimist, yeah. you see. See, that's why you run an, you, you have to be an optimist to run uh, a magazine and... Uh, but surely if you're an art critic, I yeah. imagine probably most of those people aren't Maybe. really optimistic. Uh, <laughs> Maybe I think they probably start optimistic and then get ground down. The amount of shows I see that actually, I'll probably see about 10% yeah. of things that, that are actually really good. Yeah. <laughs> really, really good. <laughs> Everything else is pretty mediocre, so maybe you do have we, to be an optimist. Yeah. We've, uh, we, this is, we've gone way over time, but I'm going to ask you one more question. Oh, just because you said see, that. See, this is so, you're enjoying this podcast so I much. I am, yeah. You? I do like it. I, I'm going to have to do so much editing, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, what, uh, what's the worst thing you've seen? You can't ask me that. What's the worst, what's the shittiest thing you've ever seen? Let's name all the artists who are really shit. <laughs> no, let's not do that. Don't you don't know. have to. Oh. Oh, wait a minute. I'm unprepared for this. Mm. I see a lot, as I've just said, I see mm. a lot of mediocre things. Um, what's the most mediocre thing you've ever seen? <laughs> you see, they're the, they're the hardest to write about yeah. as well, aren't they? Um, yeah. I don't know, man. Okay, that's, maybe that's, I, I'm not going to do you're, I'm not gonna you're do it. You're really just, nagging me out right now. Right, forget it. We'll just leave it. <laughs> <laughs> I tend to you do can that. Edit that bit. I know, I tend to do that. <laughs> anyway, thank you for coming on. You are welcome. And, this was uh, very enjoyable. Good, I'm glad you I was like, nervous hey, to begin with. A lot of nervous laughter. That's fine. And now it's fine. I'm leaving it in. Okay. All the nervous laughter. <laughs> okay, thanks for that. Good luck with the book. Thanks. You see, I told you she was lovely. I just love listening to Laura talk about artsy things like um, marshmallow laser feasts, super slow way, and the invisible wind factory. Artsy people are good at naming things, aren't they? And how can you not go and see a show called Dogsy Mabone? Yeah, quite easily, if I'm honest. <laughs> Sorry, Laura. <laughs> I'm sure it's great. I'm sure it's great. For the record, Josh Weinstein was the guy, the Futurama guy that I'd interviewed for a creative tourist. Basically, all I can remember was his obsession with the Smiths and the fact that he insisted on going to his first stop when he landed in Manchester to promote this, his new show, was to go to the Salford Lads Club and get f about 800 photos taken in front of it. I, as I mentioned before, I'm gonna read my story now. The two kids in the story are Manx, and I will spare you the accents. Anybody who's listened to this podcast will know how bad I am at impressions and accents. In fact, the podcast itself probably has the worst Nicholas Royal impression in the history of the world. He sounds like Sylvester Stallone for some reason. I have no idea why I did that. But anyway, here's a story. It's called Two Swans. Trev is cowering behind a bush in front of his house. He's wearing a hoodie two sizes too big and a pair of black trackies despite the 30-degree heat. When he sees Henry roll up, he stands and pushes his ancient, rusted BMX onto the pavement, 
It's missing a couple more spokes since Henry saw it last, and the rear tire that was once bald and fraying is now completely gone. Henry's mountain bike sparkles red, gold, and chrome in the sun. 21 speeds, Campagnolo shifters, handmade wheels, and carbon fiber everything. It could only have looked less like Trev's bike if it was a horse. Oh, look who's decided to grow up parabolics, Henry says. Sweat pours off his forehead and down his back, gathering in his armpits crotch and the backs of both knees. Every crevice where flesh touches flesh is sodden. He's used to it. Keep it down, will ya? Mum's in, and she, Trev says. Oh, so I shouldn't shout then? Shh, fucking hell, mate, you'll get me killed. All right, all right, Henry says, lowering his voice. You're such a little bitch. The two boys pedal away from the house and down the street. The rim of Trev's back wheel rattles against the road surface. Mate, that bike is a disgrace, Henry says. Henry puts Trev through this every time. If it isn't his bike, it's his scally clothes or his scally house. Trev has to take it. Henry knows the boy has no other friends. Maybe I'll give you this one when my dad buys me a new Raptor. It's really getting old now anyway. I'm almost embarrassed to be seen riding it. Trev looks up at him. Really? Henry laughs. Get serious, will you? Do you know what this bike is worth? More than your bloody housemate. Give it to you. On this estate, I'd be better off giving it to a tramp. Trev's street is rough. He lives only one neighborhood down from Henry, but the difference is stark. Blocks of dilapidated flats arranged in quadrangles, intersected by and connected to each other by long, potholed streets. Takeaway boxes are caught in the spotty grass and cancerous hedges. Drug needles lay scattered amongst the shopping trolleys and cars in various states of disrepair. Not even the day's blazing sunlight could improve it. In fact, it makes it all the worse. At least when the weather is miserable, the drizzle could be blamed. It's the hottest day of the year and the estate still looks like hell. I would rather die than live here, mate, Henry says. I don't know how you do it. I mean, surely your mum could get back on the game and make a few extra... Shut up, will you? Henry laughs. He might have felt guilty for saying that about Trev's mum, but it's true. She is living on the dole. If she goes back on the game, they would have more money. He isn't taking the piss. He's merely stating a fact. Here, just a sec. Check this. Henry stops pedaling and reaches into his jacket. When he pulls his hand out, he's holding his father's revolver. It's heavy, shiny, and black. Trev's eyes widen. Whoa, where'd you get that? Sources, mate. You don't want to know. Henry has made a habit of going through his father's things. It's easy, because the old man is never home. To his father's credit, he keeps the gun tucked away in a metal box. The idiot just hasn't realized his son is clever enough to pick locks. What are you going to do with it? Trev asks. I'm going to shoot a dickhead, what'd you think? Henry puts the gun back in his jacket and pedals ahead of Trev, moving the bike expertly around the junk and potholes. Trev follows as closely as his bike will allow. Henry leads them through the streets before cycling down a grassy hill toward the outdoor patios of the cool part of town. Trev's bike slides sideways down the hill. He puts his legs out and brakes with both feet. The bars are all empty. Usually, on a sunny day like this, the outdoor patios are heaving with beautiful people in beautiful clothes, all of them laughing with their heads back and drinking fancy sparkly cocktails. One day that would be Henry. They take the path down to the river and follow the water away from the city. Before long, the towers, bars, and posh flats disappear behind them, replaced by vacant lots and iron bridges. Under the third bridge, Henry skids to a stop. 
Trev rolls Holt close behind, again dragging his feet along the ground. Henry looks at Trev, places a finger of one hand to his lips, and points at the water toward two swans floating quietly. Here, Henry whispers, handing Trev his phone. What's this for? Just shut up and push record when I tell you. You're not going to shoot them birds. Of course I am. I have a public to entertain, don't I? 8,000 followers, mate. Very demanding. You've done this before? Uh, yeah, Henry lies. Trev looks at Henry once and back at the swans. The birds float toward the two boys. Look at the stupid things, Henry says. Actually coming up to us. Trev looks around for other people, his eyes twitching and open to maximum wideness. He chews at his thumb for a nervous second, draws a fresh thread from the thumbnail with his teeth, and spits it out. What if someone sees us? No chance. Pubs are shut, aren't they? Listen. Henry puts a hand to his ear. There is no sound. No one around for miles. It's almost as if... Henry pulls the gun out of his jacket, holds it steady at his hip, and has another long look. The river and everything surrounding it are bereft of human life. The sun is still high and hot in the cloudless sky, and the world is completely still. The logger tins and takeaway boxes that litter the streets and pavements have made their way into the river. They float silent and unmoving amongst the leaves and other rubbish in the black water. On the other side, a biscuit factory looms high and empty. Normally it's buzzing, but not today. The tall chimneys are smokeless and the forklifts are parked neatly in rows. There is no shouty cackling from the usually ever-present builders. Even the dependable hum of the road traffic has gone AWOL. It's almost as if we were meant to shoot them. Trev looks down at his shoes and kicks at the dirt. Henry raises the weapon and points it at the approaching birds. The swans are now only a couple of arm's lengths away. Oi, keep that phone up. Trev looks up and raises the phone to eye level before dropping his arm to his side. Why don't we shoot some cans or something? Get that phone back up, I said. Push the button and stop being such a puff. Trev does as he's told. The phone trembles in his hands. One of the swans is at the edge, lifting its beak at Henry, presumably looking for some attention or a scrap of bread. Look, Trev, it wants me to shoot it. A strange, tickling calm comes over Henry as he watches the swan poke at the barrel of the gun. The air is so still that he can hear the bird's beak as it scrapes against the metal. Two hot beads of sweat roll down his forehead and into his eye. He blinks them out without flinching. He's used to it. Trev sniffles. Mate, don't do it. It's not hurting anything. Henry ignores him and continues staring. He takes everything in. The heat, the idiot birds, Trev's whinging. He revels in it. He consumes his surroundings. After a few long moments, he whispers to Trev. What do you think will happen if I... The gun fires and kicks backward in a terrible crash. The swan's head explodes, spraying Henry's face and hands with its blood. He falls over and drops the gun into the grass. No, Trev shouts. Henry's ears are ringing, but he gathers himself quickly. He doesn't want to miss anything. The swan's neck flops back into the water. Blood spouts from it in a lazy arc. Fuck, Henry shouts and scrambles back to his feet, already wiping the swan's blood from his face. Stupid fucking bird, you destroyed my shirt! The second swan flaps furiously across the water. Henry stops wiping and picks the gun back up. He points the gun and shoots several times. The barrel pops and bucks in his hands with each shot, but he's ready for the kickback this time. He's used to it. Two spots of red appear on the bird's wing. It falls out of the air and crashes back into the water. Henry clicks the gun empty. 
Trev screams again and tears flow down both cheeks. He drops the phone, gets back onto his bike and pedals away fast. Well, as fast as that shit bike will take him, Henry thinks. Henry scoffs as he watches Trev's back wheel bouncing. The little coward probably pissed himself. He watches Trev cycle away, all the way, before putting the gun back in his jacket. The blood is everywhere. Splashed across his face and hands and all over his new shoes. Fuck's sake. He turns back toward the birds. The second swan twitches and rolls in the reddening river. Blood bubbles from its mouth as it struggles to keep its head above water. Henry runs over and picks up the phone to finish filming the swan until it drowns. The first swan has flipped over onto its back and is now lying limp, its feet standing straight up in the air, almost comical. Henry continues filming until both swans stop moving completely. He turns the camera on himself and gives it a thumbs up. The blood on his face looks amazing, like fucking Jason Statham or something. He stops the recording and brushes the dirt off the screen. A long scratch stretches across the back of the phone. He would deal with Trev later. He wipes his bloody fingers on his shirt and replays the video. It's brilliant. Trev had held the camera steady the whole time, even while he'd been crying. He'd even managed to keep the second bird in frame as it tried to escape. Henry watches it three more times, slowing down the first swan's head each time as it disintegrates. Satisfied, he pockets the phone and pedals toward the city. Later, he would go home. He'll wash his face and hands and hide his clothes and replace the bullets in his father's gun. His idiot parents won't be home for hours and they would never notice a missing shirt or pair of shoes. Henry has plenty of both. He has his whole life to be clean and invisible. For now, he wants to stay bloody. He wants to be seen.